Hey, back in the day, they knew it wasn't just enough to slap Apollo 13 on a DVD. The people demanded more. They wanted to hear Ron Howard and Tom Hanks talking over the movie about how Craft Services was that day. Well, that's us, baby. We're your DVD special features, bringing you commentary, deleted scenes, and maybe some half-assed pixelated storyboards if we feel like it. Welcome to Beyond the Scenes. I'm your host, Roy Wood Jr., and this is the podcast where we take a deeper dive into some of the most complex issues covered on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And speaking of Tom Hanks, today we're talking about female orgasms on screen. A brief history. History? You get it? This is a piece that originally aired on the show back on March 23rd to 2021. You know what year it is. Play the clip. It's no secret that women's on-screen portrayals have evolved throughout history. We've gone from playing secretaries being saved by James Bond, all the way to nuclear scientists being saved by James Bond. But I want to focus on one specific aspect of female depictions, the orgasm. It's when a woman is stimulated to the point of climax, causing a physical and neurological response that scientists refer to as bangtastic. And over the years, depicting female pleasure on screen is something that's changed more than the batteries in your vibrator. So today with me, I have Daily Show correspondent Desi Lydic and writer, Emmy-nominated writer, Kat Ratley, to walk me through how this segment came together, and then we're going to go beyond, because that's what we do. It's in the damn title. What's going on, y'all? How you doing? Hi, ladies? Roy. I was like, Roy, Busy? don't assume people know what year it is. That is up for debate. <laughs> <I> completely <laughs> lost track. Fine. It was from 2021 <laughs> in March. Why does it matter anymore? <laughs> so in this segment, you all went through, you dug in the crates, and you found basically a track record of just showing the misrepresentation of women's sexuality on film and television. How did that all come to, Kat? Um, one of our researchers in our deep dive department, Madeline Kuhns, um, she came up with this idea just from kind of organically noticing how different the portrayal is of female versus male orgasms on screen and all that. And she just kind of went down the rabbit hole of looking through film pretty much over the past hundred years. And she just found so much great stuff that we were able to put it together for a segment. She went so way down the rabbit man. hole and then okay. uh, back up the rabbit hole and then down again a little bit <laughs> deeper. And then, and then she came found back up for air. Just the and right then, spot. And then she found the perfect spot. Yeah. And then it was assigned to okay, me. Okay, I'm going to let you <laughs> all ride with that. Warm. I'm not yeah. going to join in. You know, I have jokes in my head that I could join in on that, but I just don't, I don't want to be the weird guy that goes, and then she stayed in that rabbit hole for three days. <laughs> Did I earn, I think weird. I spend the euphemism card too early. I should have held on to it. There's so many more opportunities. <laughs> Let's get into the actual nuts and bolts of this, Desi. As a correspondent, when someone brings you this piece, what was your first thought? I was so excited because I, I had this reaction like, oh my God, why haven't we talked about this before? And I think on a subconscious level, it's always bothered me that I feel like I haven't seen that many representations of female sexuality in like an honest, authentic, or even really funny way. Um, but it didn't hit me the depths of it until I read the script. We're always, you know, trying to figure out what topics we want to dive into. And we look for things that are that feel like they've been underreported or something we want to shine a spotlight on. 
and and they tend to be, you know, we we go deep with the information and we go through the history of something and 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 our the trap is that it would be something that can feel a little dry, right? Well, this one immediately is like, "Oh, that's fun to talk about." That's like this, is, this one was very wet. This was very wet. This was the opposite of dry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kat. Yeah. You're not going to lure me in. Nope. Nice we'll, try, We'll get them. We'll no. get them halfway through. <laughs> but this was, um, I wrote it with uh, Lauren, another writer who is amazing. And the two of us have written a couple things for Desi. And it seems like it's just, I mean, writing for Desi is super fun. And we kind of knew, like, all right, this can be, like, a, a touchy, difficult subject. And, I mean, Desi totally nailed the performance so I'm glad that she was as on board and excited about it as we were because writing it was it was fun to actually like like Desi was saying for Women's History Month sometimes we do like all right let's look at you know voting rights and the suffragette movement which is important and great but not as fun as talking about you know Barbarella or Meg Ryan's orgasm in When Harry Met Sally oh oh god oh yes Yes! 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 Oh! 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 Oh, God. I'll have what she's having. We haven't really done a segment like this on the show before, so I feel like it was like a a fun aspect of women's history that wasn't as, like, serious and heavy as, you know, having our rights taken away. But it also, just the subject matter itself, it was something that I sort of like subconsciously knew in my brain that I wasn't seeing a lot of this out there. But I I really, it, it wasn't, it didn't hit me until I read everything in that discussion. Like, oh my God, yes, that is how women were represented that early on. I had no idea about the Hedy Lamarr thing. The first known female orgasm on the silver screen was in the 1933 German film Ecstasy, when Hedy Lamarr took the Bratwurst Express all the way to Pleasureburg. Turns out the world wasn't ready for this. Everyone denounced it, from Hitler to the Pope. And if you ask me, the Pope has no place weighing in on sex scenes. He's celibate. I mean, when we need your opinion on the best stain removers for white fabrics, then we'll call you. I didn't realize that she was the first woman to have an orgasm on screen. And then not only that, but like she was basically came up with the start of what is Wi-Fi now. So she was a genius. Like I had no idea about all of that until I read it. Yeah, but but they low-key sex shamed her the rest of her career for daring to be that open on camera. Do you all think that men being in control of the narrative of sex in the entertainment industry. I mean, less so now, but definitely still more so than women. How much did that play into it? When you look at over the decades and decades of just the way women have been portrayed to just, you are the male, the man controls you. And it's never really connected to what a woman really wants in the bedroom or properly portraying what a woman wants in a bedroom. The Hedy Lamarr thing went back to like the 1930s. That's like kind of where this started, 1930s films up till now. And yeah, when you think about it, it was mostly and still is mostly men writing and directing and producing these movies. So they're the ones who are determining, you know, what a female orgasm should or shouldn't look like on screen. Because it did make you wonder like, okay, well, why is this? And you're like, oh yeah, because men control 
everything for all of the beginning of time. Um, so I do think that has a lot to do with it. Just like who's writing these stories, who's telling these women and directing them how to act on screen. Um, okay. So now in this next take, <laughs> when you're going to really erupt with pleasure. I want you to just scream and bang the headboard so that everyone can hear. All right. And <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like 10 seconds in and nothing has happened. And you're like, oh, that is that all it? Okay. Well, I guess that's how it works. It's just uh, that simple, huh? It's like almost like so, sound like you're getting murdered, but not quite. There's like a <laughs> fine line between the two. Yeah. Feed the ego of the man so he knows he's killing it. Preferably. Yeah. 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 So when we do race stories on the show, the question is always who's the intended audience, right? Because black people to a degree kind of already know some of the stuff we're talking about. So in a way, you're having to present new information to half of the audience that already knows this topic while also presenting it like with CP time. It's stuff that black people may or may not have already known. But here's a couple of jokes and we go a little deeper on the issue. And if you are not black, then this is a whole wealth of new information because I'll be honest, as a man, this is something I've never paid attention to. So who was the, when you think about the intended audience, was it to serve a dual purpose or was it to educate meatheads like myself? <laughs> I mean, I think it's always like, in, in my opinion, it's always about kind of starting a conversation across the board, right? And it, I the feeling that I felt when I read it for the first time was what I would hope that other women felt when they saw it and that, that they felt heard and seen like, oh, I've been feeling this way too. I've been missing this in TV and film and we do have some more work to do. And then also to maybe perhaps educate a few viewers who maybe did not know some of this or thought about it in that way um, and yeah, start a conversation about it. I remember growing up watching a lot of movies and stuff, and this is how, like, watching this segment, it, I, pew, 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 in my brain, and I started thinking back, there's a scene in Waiting to Exhale. Oh, shit. Oh, this is good. Huh? Yeah. Ah, yeah, it's oh, good. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, he, 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 can we say, or I'll say orgasm. Yeah. This is beyond the scenes, Safe and we're a very tasteful oh, yeah. show. Yes. So, he busts. Yeah. Way before the woman did. Does he think he just did something here? Shit. I could have had a V8. Oh, I could have had a V8 was the line. It's a legendary, <laughs> it's a legendary a line. line. But women not getting an orgasm is almost seen as, ha ha, you didn't get any pleasure. Growing up, what was you all's personal experience in seeing female pleasure depicted on screen? Can I ask that? Let me ask yeah. that in a more HR way. Uh, <laughs> as you all were matriculating as young women. Uh, <laughs> no, how much did no, it's, seeing it's women menstruating, in sex Roy, it's called menstruating. Once a month. As you menstruated to adulthood. <laughs> no. But you know, what was your what was your experience seeing the way sex was depicted on screen? I think, like you said, too, that it's funny that it was so often used as a punchline. And I feel like that's kind of something that became ingrained without me realizing. Because it is, you know, it's either funny that she doesn't get pleasure or like two of the movies we do is like a Katherine Heigl scene and a Jennifer Aniston scene from Bruce Almighty where like their pleasure is like so over the top and 
um, exaggerated, that it's like, it's the comedy, it's the butt of the joke. In the years that followed, female pleasure became more and more common on screen, but they were still often treated as punchlines, like Jennifer Aniston getting unexpected magic climaxes in Bruce Almighty, or Katherine Heigl accidentally orgasming at dinner when a little boy grabbed her remote-controlled vibrating underwear. Okay, there is so much wrong with this. It's non-consensual, it's a kid doing it, and it perpetuates the dangerous myth that vibrating underwear gives you anything but a five-alarm electrical burn. I was like, oh, okay, like, it's, it's, the way we do it is funny, or like, we're kind of used as a punchline as opposed to like, taken seriously, and I don't really know how that affected me, because I feel like we were just kind of getting messages like that from all over, so I'm kind of like, all right, well, this is the way it is, until you kind of, learn that it is different I'm still yeah. waiting to learn <laughs> that scene in particular I have so many mixed feelings about I feel like that because as as like an actor doing comedy you when you get a scene as a woman like you want to have the joke you want to get to do like the big performative joke in this set piece and so and men get to joke about their orgasms all the time like it's all over the place uh, literally. And um, how many are we at now? Three, four? Two, <laughs> Still early. But, but like, there were so many problems in that scene itself. Like Kat said, we were kind of like punching at the wrong thing. The punchline was aimed, it seemed, in the wrong direction. And also, um, just like... There was really no consent. It was kind of against their will. It was happening to them and they weren't participating in it, which felt kind of weird. And I think those movies were, when Laura and I were writing it, we were like, wait, what year was this? I want to say it was like 2009. Like it was 10 to 15 years ago when like consent was not like a term people were thinking about or throwing around in probably like movie sets at all. And I'm like, oh yeah, like you are like giving Katherine Heigl this orgasm in a restaurant and it's funny and I'm just like, ooh, man, that they didn't even have the C word anywhere in their brain like at this point in time. So I was like, I was like, there's so, there's so much wrong with this. And it was a kid, right? Like it was it like was a, a kid, eight-year-old kid toying yeah. with it. You're like, no, stop. Yeah, there's a lot of problematic old school sex scenes that you can go back and watch now and be like, yeah, I can I can remember I just recently rediscovered the movie Young Frankenstein, which I is like a classic Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder and so many funny performances in that movie. Terry Garr and Madeline Kahn are comedic geniuses. And I remember seeing that scene of Madeline Kahn with the monster when he comes in to like take her and he drops his pants and then suddenly she's like very into it and they have this whole sex Whoa. scene oh, oh oh you can't be serious i'm a i oh my god Woof. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged, and, and once he took, but, but I didn't, it was never enough time. All the, uh, oh my, uh, uh. It is like a tour de force in her comedic performance. It's 
hilarious. She should have won all the awards for this scene. And then it cuts to them sitting there side by side and they're smoking a cigarette. But in watching it in recent years, you go back and you're like, wait, he took her against her will. Wait, there was no, he was kidnapping her. It was so problematic on so many levels. <laughs> the, is the implication that so Frankenstein has a big dick, like that's what yeah. the implication was? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that would make sense. If you're able to like piece together a human, you're like, I guess I'll give him the Going biggest. Going all out. Biggest dead dick I can find. If young boys get weird science, we can at least have Frankenstein. Like, give us that. <laughs> yeah. I remember, the thing that I remember most about sexuality as a man growing up and just watching films, like just, you know, we're talking from that middle school through high school years, was just how animalistic sex was in a lot of black romantic films. Like, you got to just get it and <laughs> dominate the woman. <laughs> Like, I remember Jason's lyric was one, I won't detail the scene, but they were banging in an alley. Like, it was just, it was consensual, but it was just the dude just ravaging the woman. And then it was the same thing in Belly with uh, DMX and whoever he had the sex scene with. Like, that type of stuff was what informed me. The thing that really made it awkward, though, was being in the movies and this type of stuff coming up with our parents. And I don't want to say that my parents failed me, but <laughs> in those awkward sexual moments in cinema, I kind of wouldn't have, knowing what I know now, it would have been dope for my mom or my dad to put me to the side and go, just so you know, that's not how sex, you, you don't do that. Women don't like being that, taken next to a dumpster, just in case <laughs> that's something. Well, this can- woman did. She was with it. <laughs> And you wonder why dudes try you at a dumpster for the next 20 years. <laughs> it's because <laughs> treach. <laughs> well, uh, this has been great. What do you say I take you out back behind the dumpster? <laughs> After the break, I want to talk with you all a little bit about some of the potholes in a story like this. Because, you know, as we do with The Daily Show, we juggle a little bit of dynamite. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you wanted to avoid and some of the things that you wish you'd had space Uh, to add to the story. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. When you all were researching the story, what were some of the biggest things that you didn't know before the research? We get like a giant file that has like all the research in it that our research department could find. So more than what you saw in the segment, like plenty was left out because there was no way to do all of it. The one thing I was most surprised at was the stuff from like the mid 20th century like so the Hedy Lamar movie which was like 1930s the fact that there was even a female a uh, female orgasm portrayal back then just shocked me I was like wait they let this shit happen in the 30s and then um the stuff that was from the 60s and 70s that wasn't technically porn and some of it was porn with like deep throat but just how graphic it was in the 60s and 70s I feel like I was like wow I can't believe they actually like did this it's weird because there's such a stark contrast because around that same time in sitcoms they wouldn't even let the mom and dad be in the same bed that's one thing we talked about the Hayes code which we mentioned briefly but it was the you know censorship guidelines that they used which kind of came in place after the 30s and 40s. This was a set of censorship guidelines that banned movies from explicitly showing or discussing sex. Even married couples had to be shown in separate beds, or as it's now called, the reverse chocolate factory. With the four of you bedridden for the past 20 years, it takes a lot of work to keep this family going. No one was getting off. Did 
they call it like one foot on the floor? Like you always had to have one foot on the floor at all times if there was a scene in the bedroom that married couples couldn't even, you couldn't even show them sleeping in the same bed. Sometimes one foot on the floor is even better too. I mean, they didn't. truly to be able to really um, get some leverage. Mobility. <laughs> yeah, the- I'm not going to join in on that. <laughs> I the scene- yes. Um from the 30s like they show like they use a pearl necklace to like they they show a pearl necklace being dropped on the floor that we assume is meant to like symbolize the orgasm um and then the there were a couple other like a lot of symbolic things of like lots of like cigarette smoking like the things they would do to try to get around it trains going through tunnels like there was a lot of innuendo in these like anytime you see a train film like it's it's sex in the fifties and sixties. Like so just the, the the dumb things they would do to try to work around it. We went from a pearl necklace falling on the ground to Cameron Diaz having a literal pearl necklace in her hair. <laughs> yeah. And something about Mary. Yeah. So just the stark contrast with like how like we kind of boomeranged back the other way. Um but the Barbarella scene. I mean, we have to talk about that. It's my favorite. America was embarking on a sexual revolution, so female pleasure came back on screen. Unfortunately, it was often treated as a novelty that existed for men's amusement. So you got scenes like the one in 1968's Barbarella, where evil doctor eyebrows over here traps Jane Fonda in a machine that's supposed to give her orgasms until she dies, except that she climaxes so hard she breaks the machine. My goodness. At the time, it was considered a campy, sexy thing, but looking at it now, it's a violation. Remember, everyone, if you're gonna put a woman in a machine that orgasms her to death, you need consent first. We watched that clip, like, we had it in our research file, and I watched it being like, what the fuck is this? Like, how did people, like, how was this made, and who was this for? But it, like, and Jane Fonda really sold it too. I was like, that woman committed. Like, she is oh, a yeah. professional. How do you audition for that role? You're in a giant pipe organ and you're being pleasured to death. But you don't want to die. But you do want to be, play- It's it, there's a lot of conflict, internal conflict in the face. She played that scene very well, I have to and say. And it was just the face too, because the whole pipe organ orgasm machine <laughs> covered her from the the waist down or the neck down. So it was just her face. Like that was the only indication. It was her face and then like, you know, shitty graphics of like sparks and smoke coming out (laughs) of the machine. It's also really misleading for young women to watch that and to assume that you can only climax if there are sparks and smoke. How hard is it to find the right tone? Because you don't want to diminish the topic. But we are on Comedy Central, which means we have to have some (laughs) fucking comedy in there sometimes what were some of the landmines that you all wanted to avoid there are so many great representations of of uh, female pleasure or sexuality or something that might feel very authentic and uh and truthful and honest in a performance but it it might not be something that feels like it's appropriate to make jokes about you want to feel like whatever we talk about is kind of fair game to make laughs about a second later. One thing that we we also like fully acknowledged too as we were writing it, it's like a lot of the kind of the mainstream big touchstone moments in the film too tended to be, you know, white women, cis women, hetero relation, heterosexual relationships. So we 
like don't have the representation we'd like ideally in this uh, segment overall. Um, but we like same with Desi, we noticed like, okay, if this is going to open up a bigger conversation about how does this vary based on race? How does this vary based on gender? How does this vary uh, based on, you know, sexual orientation? And that was something we were like, we could write, we could make this a 30 minute piece or we could do like, you know, a five part thing. But we were like, okay, this is one segment. So we're like, we're just going to kind of touch on the mainstream, you know, big moments like the When Harry Met Sally, the Barbarella. Um, But we fully acknowledged when we were writing it. We were like, we know that this isn't fully inclusive of every aspect of these portrayals, but we want to make sure that, you know, we aren't making light of something that is a more serious scene or a more serious film. Um, We also talked about two making jokes about the movies that are comedies, whereas, like, you know, most of these, like, When Harry Met Sally, um, Bruce Almighty, like, those are big comedies. So we were like, okay, well, we don't want to write jokes about jokes, um, but we could, like, make fun of the fact that it's used as a joke. Because it feels weird sometimes to write comedy about something that is meant to be comedy. That makes perfect sense. So then to that point about the portrayal of nudity in comedy, why is it man-naked funny woman naked oh, or mm-hmm. mm. it's never <laughs> it's rarely hilarious like i the only thing that i even think comes close to a joke that would play the same for a woman as a guy in a comedy is melissa mccarthy shitting her pants in bright <laughs> <laughs> such a double standard and it's not it it really isn't fair that you know it seems like when when men are naked in a comedy it's hilarious and it's maximized for comedy but if a woman shows up naked in a comedy it's we're objectifying her or it's uh it becomes about sex instead of the laugh i don't know if you guys remember isla fisher's performance in the wedding crashers i'm not wearing any panties oh that's right yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's fine. Hilarious. Total breakout role for her. She was genius in it. She maximized every second that she was on camera. And I believe she's she talked about this, and forgive me if I get it wrong, but she talked about there being a discussion. There was a sex scene in that movie, and there was a discussion about whether she was going to be topless and how much they were going to show. And I think they wanted her to be completely topless and to see it all. And she basically was like, look, if you see my nipples, I lose my laugh. And I'm going to protect my laugh. So you got to shoot it in a certain way because I want to I get the comedy. I don't want this to be about objectifying. Well, I think the problem is I am not being adventurous enough for you. Gloria, I'm pretty sure that is not what I've been saying to you. Baby, I'm going to make all your fantasies come true. And it's like, you know, Will Ferrell probably would not have had to have that conversation. Right. His nipples are hilarious. His nipples are, yeah, very funny. To the point where nudity enhances the scene, Ken Jong talks about this. He's talked about it on the record here and there. 
But he told me and another comedian friend of mine the story of him coming out the trunk naked in the original Hangover movie. In that original, the scene as it was written, he had clothes on. And Ken went to the director and said, hey, I should be naked. Uh, uh, and they were like, what? <gasps> yeah, my character, he should come out the trunk naked. I think it'll be more of a blah, 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 blah. And to his credit, he was right. He was Him right. coming out that trunk naked right. literally catapulted. He stole that film. It held up the shoot for two hours because they had to get the clearances and the lawyers and oh, yeah. whatever the hell else. Yeah. I don't know what happens when dicks come out on set, but apparently it's a lot of paperwork. When we talk about women's breasts too, I was thinking of like there's so much in uh, there's something about Mary, but isn't um, his neighbor like the old lady who's like always tanning? Oh, they yeah. show her boobs, but they're you know like old wrinkly ski slopes. Yes. And it's like, and that is funny because they can, I mean, they made her look as, you know, unsexy as possible in order to do it. Yeah. And I, you know, I give a lot of credit to that woman for, you know, for bearing it all for that. But that, I mean, that was funny. Like, that was like one instance where women's boobs were funny, but they made them look as little boob-like as possible. Like, they right. were almost unidentifiable. <laughs> They just have to keep sending her back to the makeup trailer. Nope, sorry, still a little too sexy. They it's still a kind of look like them like Yeah, there we go. That's perfect. Yeah. Now we can do it. As much as I would love to continue talking about breast and nudity and all of that <laughs> stuff, we have to see where we're going towards the future. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. Ken Jong, if, if I wasn't supposed to tell that story, sorry, it's too late. It's <laughs> Such out there. a good story. It's been 20 years. Let that shit go. So we've talked during this podcast, ladies, just about how the portrayal of women and their sexuality and how that can inform and influence us from a very early age. But should the movies be where people are even learning about all of this? Yeah, I mean, it. It what what is seen on on in the movies and on TV matters. It certainly like carries a lot of weight, but I think it matters more because kids aren't really learning a lot about sex ed in a full, comprehensive, inclusive way in school. So they're left to learn this stuff from seeing shows and, and movies. And, and that's like, to me, that kind of puts too much pressure on what's supposed to be entertainment to kind of like solve the world's problems. Yeah, I think if anyone needs these movies, it's Catholic school kids. Because I can tell you right now, they are not teaching them shit <laughs> that they need, that they actually need to know. Because like I, I went to a Catholic high school, and I would think, like, you know, that was 20 years ago, that it would be better. But I don't, like, it's like Desi was saying, it's not. Like, sex education is still pretty bad, at least in America. And most kids are getting their knowledge from TV, movies, and, you know, unless someone has, like, a cool older brother. But other than that, like... There's not really many resources to get like the real, like the real authentic stuff of what sex is actually like. Do you think also, in addition to the lack of sex ed, is there more sexual censorship in America that also keeps kids from learning about stuff? Like just, I saw Mortal Kombat, okay? I saw the new Mortal Kombat movie earlier this year. Blood and guts mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. 
But then you can go overseas and they, pardon my French, they got breasts in just commercials. Nudity is just so regular. Like it's just a commercial about buying shampoo and it's just a woman getting out the shower and her breast are out yeah shampoo wouldn't it be nice if americans had more shame surrounding violence than shame surrounding the human body and all of its sexuality it's so crazy i mean even i have a five-year-old and the stuff that when i'm trying to look for something that is appropriate for him to watch we are always stumbling upon stuff that's like well that's still violent or there's a some like you know, weapons are being thrown around and there's some fight or there's some, and I would much rather my son see naked boobies on screen, you know, than see like a full, full on knockdown, drag out, violent fight. As Americans, we probably don't even realize how much violence we're seeing every day because it's just something we've grown up with at this point. But yeah, I remember when I went to Europe for the first time, I think like as a teenager, I went as like a French exchange student and I just remember seeing like boobs on a billboard and I was like do they know that those are up there like (laughs) I was like uh someone's gonna get fired because there's some tits just like at a department store (laughs) you have to act normal as an American yeah boobs out totally normal yeah Yeah, no big deal yeah are things as a whole improving do you think you know when we have programs like say Pose which is ending their run coming up now on FX does, how does the sexuality, heterosexuality and the portrayal of that, how does that fit into the wider discussion of BIPOC and LGBTQ sexuality on film and TV? I mean, I think definitely, I mean, having more people behind the camera, but then also just seeing those relationships, like, um, like I, I May Destroy You was like, I feel like so revolutionary in how it portrayed sex and sexuality Um and that was one thing that that was in our research, but we were like, that's such a heavy show. I was like, that doesn't, the tone doesn't feel right to like include that. So I think more shows like that, where it's no longer this big deal because it's revolutionary and like the only one of its kind, that should be now our standard. Like most more shows, especially like the dramas, should be able to show those relationships of like people being more fluid with gender and more open to different sexual experiences but also make sure consent is always involved because that's just something we've really started putting into film and television in the past like four years, which is not that long, seeing as how movies have been around for over a hundred. So those are like all things I think that revolve around the, like kind of the same issues. They are, they're all connected. The way that Michaela Cole was able to explore and dissect sexual assault and that whole experience that her character went through and her the, the also the supporting characters in that story felt so like truthful and authentic and um you know shocking it was really like Kat said revolutionary and also shocking because we have never seen it like that before talked about in that way um so stories like that stories like you know, Ryan O'Connell's show special and he has like, there's a scene of him having sex with another man that was, I've heard him speak about it on on the press tour before about it being like just a really authentic, honest interaction that he hadn't seen on camera before. Phoebe Waller-Bridge in Fleabag and the way she talks about sexuality and shame and, you know, her... 
her being able to tell that story and it being such a massive success, I think gives me hope that we're moving in the right direction. We're starting to get more diverse stories being told. And that's important. Well, the diverse stories are told because we have a wonderfully diverse cast of people working in the building. Thank you all so much for bringing me up to speed on women's orgasms. I will now go on the same deep dive that Madeline went on. (laughs) And then two minutes later, I will wait an hour and try to go on that deep dive again. There. There's your sex (laughs) joke. We did it. (laughs) Look, that's all the time we have for today. A special thanks to Kat Radley and Desi Lydic. Hopefully now we've taken you beyond the scenes. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Roy. I'm sorry, Ken Jong. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to go even further beyond the scenes? Check out the video version of Beyond the Scenes on The Daily Show's YouTube page.